the only Wall Street, he's the only traditional Wall Street guy. All right, that's got to be it. Talking about $100,000 Bitcoin. That just answered it's it. Yeah. As usual, Josh with the answer. Yeah, you know, it comes you in high. You said the market was going to triple, right? Right. Quadruple. I'll say, I'll, dude, I'll, Is that what he said? Triple. I'll say it's going to double. <laughs> Where yeah. are you going with the double? Oh, these are new. I don't even get out of bed for a, a triple. I like these. <laughs> Chewbacca. Uh, I'm not watching Bubba Fett, by the way. Really? I don't have time for it. Is it good? Are you a it's Star Wars bad. fan? Yes, it's, of course I'm a Star Wars fan. Then kill yourself. You are you a Star Wars, Wars fan? Once. Did you guys see the Reacher? Have you looked at watch? No, Reacher? what is that? J Jack, Jack Reacher. Jack, that's a new series on Prime. So is, is it related to the Tom Cruise Reacher? It's way yeah, better. It's, it's based on the same it's books. Based on the book, but those it's are Ben's really favorite books. Out of the book, it's like a big hokey guy, like in the book. Okay. I looked at the guy. And is I'm it like, violent? I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Okay. I'm not. He's. I was thinking to myself. There's no way I'm watching this. This is so hokey. Yeah. And I got and it was through good. the first one and I was like, That's Amazon. Okay. It's I need Amazon. a new show. Yeah. I need a new show. Wait, but you I did that shit in one, about I did it in one day. Well, if you're a fan of Star Wars, then you have to be watching it. Or it's else actually you're not. really good. Okay, it's fine. Very, right. It's right. very good. Say no more. I will watch. <laughs> Do you know who made it? It's Robert Rodriguez. Do you know who he is? Bobby Yeah, he did Desperado. Dude, he's like one of the best directors of our lifetime. I know him. I know. So this is his series. It's like He also did uh, from Dust Till Dawn, I think. Yeah, he sure did. You sure did. Uh, that movie was a great. trip as an 11-year-old seeing that movie. How old was I when that came out? I don't know, but I saw... I saw yeah, one, 11. I saw Once Upon a Time in Mexico in the same theater as Rudy Giuliani and his daughter. <laughs> and it is the most disgusting, violent movie. I remember sitting there with my dad. No, it's not. Well, So we walk it... it we're in the East 70s or whatever. There, used, there was a movie theater... Maybe on Second Avenue in the East Seventies, yeah. And they live in Gracie Mansion, yeah. So his his daughter at the time is a teenager when this movie comes out. So my, I go with my dad. My dad and I both live on the Upper East Side. My wife doesn't see movies like that with me, um, but but I'm like a Robert Rodriguez nut. I see all like everything Tarantino, everything. Either. So we go to the movie and we see Ru Rudy Giuliani and his teenage daughter walk into the theater. Within five minutes, Johnny Depp is telling a bad guy. He's going to poke his eyes out and f*** his skull. And my dad, my dad starts hysterically laughing and he's elbowing me and he's pointing and Rudy's head is in his hands and his daughter is sitting next to him. The <laughs> most, the most <laughs> violent movie of all time is from this, from this machete. Oh yeah. Remember that? Oh, that's oh, that was, that was, do you guys remember Slapshot? Yes, of course. Okay, so Slapshot, my kids are playing hockey. They're little boys, like yeah. nine, ten years old. I don't time. remember. I think I must have been out of my mind when I watched it. Yeah. I didn't remember how it started. Do you remember how it started? Oh, 1977. No, I haven't seen this movie since, it the, started, since the 80s. It started talking about anatomy in the first sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm like, whoa! That's a, wi that's a wild movie. Even for the first standards back then? Back then. Holy yeah. cow. Um, Slapshot. Is this mic right, John? Is that good? Yeah, Okay, good. good. It is interesting being in that position where you're watching something and not thinking anything of maybe the offensiveness or whatever. Oh, yeah. Versus when you're with somebody else. When you're with your kids. Yeah. Well, like, like most like, of the funny movies, like all the Monty Python yeah. movies, I was not of sound. Can I tell you something? Like, well, listening to so Howard funny. Stern is one thing, but, but that, that, that shit has sailed with my kids because, because of TikTok, they were listening to rap songs that ordinarily, if it came on the radio, and I were driving, I would turn it off. Yeah, of course. Like, there's five female rappers who all they do is, like, rap about their private parts. Yeah. And they're the number one songs in the world. It's, it's not even. It's not even, like, on the margins. It's like, this is the number one song in the country. It's a, a female rapper and a female singer, 
and they're little, right? Fine. I have no problem with that. The thing is the kids hear these songs at seven and not only do they know the songs, every single lyric, they have dances to them. So then, right. So I'm with my friend Adam and his daughter. I think she's like seven or eight years old and she has a whole dance routine to one of the most, I can't even say what the name of the song is. And he's just sitting there like, he's like, he starts yelling at his wife at a barbecue at my house. He's like, get over here. What is she saying to me? <laughs> why is she Why is she grinding on the floor and saying those words right now? Oh my God, I'm I'd about have a heart to, attack. Yeah, he said, I'm about to call child services on you. Oh boy. I have to explain to him, it's TikTok is raising your kid, dude. It's so true. I, I was lucky. My kids were in teenage years Right as before Facebook. Right. Right. Like as it was getting, I can't even imagine. You're fortunate. Because I don't have, you know, I don't have any social media. I didn't do, I killed Twitter. I killed, you know, like, Good. Why would you be there? Buddy, you you and I went off at unbeknownst to each other at yeah. the exact same time. I think I, are you back on it? No. I, it's, it's like, nobody could understand why pe- I did that. People, people, people like, they, it's almost like when people say it, like, when are you going to tweet again? It's like asking me, when am I going to put a heroin needle in my arm? A dirty it's, heroin needle. How do people Never. not get that? They don't because they can't tear away from it for I even can't. two days. I can't. I'm addicted. I can't leave. Michael we, can't we leave. We miss you, I can't, leave. I can't leave. Holy cow. I can't even deal. Dude, you have Slack, right? Slack is Twitter featuring Josh Brown. Internal corporate Slack. It's good enough. Yeah, Josh. Look we at have this. Slack, too. The kids Tony, Slack. Tony, on Tuesday, which was not even 48 hours ago. Actually, that was yesterday. Josh said there's going to be the mother of all double tops. No, I didn't. For tech stocks, no, yes, you did. Yes, no, you did. did. No, yes, I didn't. Did. Yes, you did. I said lower high, lower high. Fine. Guess fine. Then wrong. Why wrong? Wait, you're talking about right here? Yeah. Or, or right here? That's not the top. I thought, no, no, no. You thought, you said this was going to be the lower high and we have another lower high. No. This is the high. This will finish before it gets back to that. How? But, but let's not do the show before we do the, the show. The lower high's already invalid. Let's not do the show before it's, we do But we're at a higher low. Whoa. That sounds distorted. That sounds terrible. What happened to Francesa? It should sound like, turn my mic on! Yeah. Turn my mic on! There we go. What reports after the bell, Tony? You know what? What, anything, what reports today? Not, I didn't see anything Nothing. major. Nothing. Turn my mic on! All right. Last week was busy. I'm like, I, as you guys remember, I, I know very little about individual stocks because I'm not allowed to talk to them. Mm. So I kind of lost track. Smart. Better off. We had Disney this morning. I didn't see. What, what did Disney do? What did Disney say? What did they say? I got to listen to that. Disney. All right. All right. We, how are we looking, guys? We're good. Wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Boom. Does this go as video, too, or is it just uh, audio? Full Monty. Okay. Everything. Everything. This is. It, this will be an IMAX. <laughs> <laughs> all four. All four mats. Dolby surround. Hulu. All four mats, my man. All right. Giddy up. All right, let's do it. Let's go. Welcome to the Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Duncan, did you know that 
contemporary art beat the S&P 500 total return by 164% from 1995 to 2021? No, never would have guessed. Yeah, I didn't know that either, but it's, it's true. According to Masterworks. Man, I missed this one. Masterworks had a Banksy painting exit through the gift shop. You know how long it sold out? How fast? Three hours. Wow. Three hours. That's a popular one. You can invest in blue chip art at Masterworks. You can get from artists like Pablo Picasso. I know that guy. I actually, I own one. The Hermie Assis. I own that. Uh, Banksy, we already mentioned. Andy Warhol. All you have to do is go on your computer, go to www.masterworks.art slash compound. Episode 33. Special, very special guest today, Mike. What do you think about this? I feel great. It's pretty, it's pretty good. Fellow little bald. There's not a, we don't have enough balds on the show. That's right. I'm, I'm outnumbered, but I'm always- You're working where, on it. I'm almost, I'm almost where you guys are. I'm, okay, you're almost you looking know, good. You know that I aspire to that. It's a 2024 story. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Dwyer is in the house. Tony, welcome to the Compounder Friends. You and I have done stuff together, video stuff together. This is the new show that we built as we exited the pandemic, where we said- Let's actually get away from the Zooms and see people in the real world. You, you like, you like I'm that? I'm all in on that. You are, I'm right? I'm all in on that. Okay. Yeah, I needed to see people. How many days a week are you now uh, reporting somewhere other than your house? What are you doing? What's your work schedule like? Well, it really hasn't changed. I probably do. I travel a lot, so it'll probably be a couple days a week. And, and honestly, I don't know how you can collaborate without being around and seeing other people. You can't. As a young person, I got into strategy because I work with Greg Smith, Ed Yardeni, and initially a guy named Joe Feshback. Sure. And those three guys, I walked into their office because I was at the office and I, I told them, listen, I'm a political science major from a small school in upstate New York. Right. I don't know anything about what you do and I'm supposed to recap Hired. it. Can you please? <laughs> right. I learned. So can you please teach me? I ended up playing basketball with Greg Smith, racquetball and, and squash with Joe Feshback. And I would talk to Ed every night. Where I was still, this? What, what company? This was Prubash Securities back in 1987, May of 1987. I got in the game. Was that related to Prudential? That was, yeah, it was Prudential Beige Securities. Prudential Beige is B-A-C-H-E. And then it became, you remember Larry Wachtel? Yeah, sure. Larry Wachtel uh, was the guy that taught me how to communicate yeah. about the market. I'm so glad you just it. brought his name up. I want to ask you a, ever. Wait, I want to ask you a, a feshback question in a minute. Larry Wachtel had a hotline on his desk mm -hmm. for brokers, Prudential brokers. And like anybody who was selling securities for the firm could just call him. And Correct. all right, I worked for a guy. Buddy, this, I answered that phone. Okay, but this I got was, a story for you when you're done. All right, hold on. I worked for a guy. We were like some bullshit brokerage firm in Manhattan, but the principal of the firm came from Prudential. And so he just kept Larry Wachtel's number. Yeah. This is five years after he left. Uh -huh. He would just like when the market was acting strange or whatever, he'd be like, let me see what's going on. He'd go on speakerphone. <laughs> With like five of us in his office and call Larry. And Larry would deliver this 30-minute, I swear to God, soliloquy. Is it monologue or soliloquy? Monologue. I don't know. It's, it's whatever you want. You know Shakespeare? <laughs> I think soliloquy works there. It's but, a monologue. Well, no, no. A monologue is something you speak out loud. The soliloquy is something in the character's head. And they speak it aloud, but it's meant to – all right, it doesn't matter. Sounds right. He would do 30 minutes of bullshit like the rates and, and yeah. Europe and – and it was like almost a recording, except it wasn't. 
he really did that for anybody that called. He didn't even look at whose inbound number this is. So I got time for a couple uh, of stories. Yeah, right? so, please. So how did I ever get? Locked how did a, a guy like me ever get on TV? Yeah, right? I don't. I didn't go to B school. Six pack, six it. pack abs. <laughs> yeah, same six, as me. Same as I got now. Right, right underneath the rest of it. Right. So anyway, um, I'm the only. I'm one of the few people that would answer Larry's phone because brokers would literally call him up and yeah. say, "How do I turn on the computer?" It was when it was just green and white stuff on the computer. By the way, for the for the listeners, Larry Wachtel was the chief investment strategist, right? No, no, no. What was you he? You know what Larry was? He was the head Head of, of research? Uh, no, he was a reporter. What do you mean? Larry was officially a reporter at Prubase Securities. What does that and mean? And he, he, he reported the news as it came out and became – he then interpreted the news better than anybody else <laughs> – before then or after? Sounds like a one-man Twitter So you guys got – so I'm going to give you – like this Go. is an interesting – This I love this. Yeah. So I, nobody wanted to answer his phone because they're answering questions like how do I turn on the computer? Like how do you, <laughs> how do you print something? Right? And, and Larry, Larry would do his best to tell him. And Larry had this great thing. Like if somebody called up, he would end the call as soon as they said okay. He was the most gracious man on Wall Street. Yeah. And he would – as soon as somebody said – would you know how we say – I like X, Y, Z right. and okay. And he would hang up the phone as soon as he heard the word okay. And you would hear their next question as the phone. Okay. Right. Because well, because right. the phone never stopped so ringing. So I got on t television because Larry Wachtel was the only guy at Financial News Network, FNN, that was on television other than the anchors at the time. Mm. And I used to always bust his chops. I think his son Phil would laugh. I would bust his chops and say, Larry, come on, old guy. Let the young guy in. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm picking – and because I picked up his phone and worked harder than anybody else, when he had knee surgery and he couldn't go up the stairs at FNN, he said, give the kid a shot. Okay. And you must have killed and that's, it. It was a disaster. Oh, right. <laughs> well, I, w I was told at the time yeah. that um, they're just going to ask you about the market. Yeah. And I'm this punk kid that shouldn't have been on TV. Yeah, sounds and familiar. He, and he said, and he and they asked the question, how did the how does the movement in the German Bund affect the future for the two year T bill? And you had a good answer for that. I have the same answer that I have with you guys now. I don't know. And they like they appreciated that. They pre I said I don't know, but this is what's important now. Oh, so I did the opposite. So I did the opposite. I made an appearance, like my third appearance on TV ever. You get into the database mm -hmm. and they, you know, Erin Burnett on CNN? Oh, yeah, of course. So she was on CNBC. Yeah, I remember. And they're like, Josh, we're really desperate. It's like a Friday afternoon. They're like, some some shit just went down with Boeing and, or Airbus or whatever. And we just, we just, we got to do a segment on it. Um, do you know anything about like, and I'm like, no, but I mean, I, I could do some research and just say, I'm not an expert on this, but this is, you know, so that they're like, okay, it's okay. So I do it, and the first question Aaron Burnett asked me is about a forward fuselage. On the, and I, but I'm very on. I'm just like, I don't really know about this, but here's this other thing that I do know about that's that might I be did. interesting to the audience. That's what I did. And that, that's okay, that's I what feel we're like. supposed to do, bro. We're I, not supposed to make stuff up. That's right. So another Larry Wachtelism, right. on, on when Casual Fridays became a thing, mm. people would say, Larry – how come you always dress up what on Fridays? What is this, late, late 90s? Yeah. Okay. Or no, early 90s. Early they would 90s. say, Larry, when? why don't you ever dress down? It's okay to dress down. He goes, there's nothing casual about running other people's money. Oh, I love that. That's so I you learned. That, you son of a bitch. I, I learned in this guys business is, from the greatest strategists ever. I mean, think about that. Greg Smith. Yeah. Edgar Denny and Joe Feshbeck. And then after he left, it became Mac and Poor. Yeah, I, I said, learned yeah. from them. But then- I got to learn how to communicate. It Wait, Tony, before, you, before you go there, but Wachtel didn't retire 
with the title reporter? Did he be eventually become the strategist? He was an analyst. He was never the strategist. He never. Was an an, he was okay. never a strategist. He could. I mean, he could have been for all intents and purposes. He was absolutely the best. He knew how to communicate. Yeah. What was going? It's how I learned. It's the blessing. Was that he I in got. the Barons Roundtable? No. Okay. What no, was I believe, big- I believe he went one time on Rukhauser. Okay. And Got what it. we did is we we developed at the time that it was called the Equity Focus Group because I didn't know which way I was going to take my career. I knew that I loved the strategy stuff. And the Equity Focus Group there that that I built from the ground up ended up with guys like Bill Meehan, if you remember Bill Meehan, who, yes, who died I do. in 9-11. Yes. I hired Bill because what we wanted to do was communicate and coordinate what the strategy group was saying to the financial advisors so they could tie together with what the research department liked. Bill Meehan is the guy – that Barry Ritholtz on 9-11, I think this is accurate, was emailing back and forth with or something? Yeah, we morning? all were. Okay, because Barry was doing a column at thestreet.com. Yeah. And I, I'll, was, I'll ask I was, Barry the story. I was doing the street.com column at that time too. And okay. Bill was, yeah, he was in the towers. Shitty story. Um, all right, story. so so his, my Feshback question is, is he related to the Feshback brothers? He's, he's, or I that was its own cousins. thing? I think they're cousins, but I don't remember. I'll ask him because I'm still in touch with them every now and then. And they were like the notorious short sellers. Yeah, they're they're like old school short sellers. Press it and then press it and press it and press it. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they were they were. They're not still. They're it. not still at it. I ha- I don't know. I was. It was. It's so <laughs> sh- long ago. This may shock you. I, I tend to be on the optimistic side. I don't know how you wake up bitter every day. Yeah. So, so I didn't really follow them. As Big much. beat for Disney. There we go. There we go. All right. So that was fun. Thank so, you for the memories, dude. So uh, learning how to communicate is important i'm of the opinion i've said this before we're in a we're not in a math business if it was as simple as figure out the formula it would have been figured out mm-hmm. we're in a communicate yeah for, at every level at for, every level the fed is in the communications business big time right it, it doesn't take a lot of effort to push the button to go from 25 to 50 base points all of the effort is in how they explain it and mm-hmm. phrase it and how they get you prepared for it and how they decide to reverse themselves when they have to it's communications business. Every firm on Wall Street, same business. Sell side research is communicating with clients Has to be. Uh, and on and on. Uh, asset management, fund management. Most people buy stories, don't buy equations. Um, even the quants are telling the story of why their factors are going to beat the other guy's factors down the street. So I feel as though this is the ultimate communications business. And obviously the, the, uh, the analog for that with what we're doing. Thank every God, because I'm not that bright. Morgan, so I can communicate it because Morgan Housel says best story wins. It's true. It, so you agree with that? No, I, I agree with good guys don't finish last. Yeah. Full stop. And I also agree with the best way to communicate a story with integrity and honesty is what wins. You have to be. I believe you have to be a likable person. Clients don't want to meet with somebody that offends them Mm-mm. or is not or or demeans them. That's why I don't have clients. Right? It's <laughs> you haven't offended me. So, you know, that and that's it. but it's any business. We love to make this about us. It's not about us. Yeah. My brother's an orthopedic surgeon. He's a salesman. He's got to sell to the hospital. He's got to sell against the other orthopedic surgeons in the area. He's got a marketing. Right. What he's know. selling is the certainty that he'll know what to do. Yeah, so look, and that's so, what we do, right? Like we did the MRI, we we determined the best course of action is surgery. When I open you up, we don't know how things are going to go. You have to believe in me that I'm going to get you out of this, and it's going to work I've, out. I've watched people that have never been in business, have never done the job that they're tasked with. I told you about 
my family business yeah. that the kids have. Yeah, I've watched people on <laughs> family family <laughs> business. We're not even good Irish right. mafia. <laughs> right. right. But the bottom line is, it's never what's on paper. It's always about how you can communicate your true identity and how you go about it. I always say on TV, it, it, it annoys the hell out of some anchors. My job isn't to be right or wrong or tell you what to do. It is inappropriate for me to tell somebody that I've never met, have no idea their risk tolerance or financial condition. It's inappropriate for me, for me to get on there and say, do this. It's, right? <laughs> right? It's like, I don't know what like that a, is. It's but. like a child. All right. <laughs> you get the buttons. I'm, I'm, voting, I'm, no, I'm voting, voting you. So, you. We so, agree I'm with that. Him. So no, that, I mean, I, I believe that with all my soul. 100%. So I will never go on and I, I tell my subscribers, I tell you guys. Your okay. job is to say, this Ted. is what's, this is what's going on. This is what I think it means. This or is, has meant before. This is what we're telling the professional investors that are relying on us for research and opinion. Correct. But then- Listen, you don't know all 1 million people that are watching you in that moment. How could you possibly? So everyone has to have responsibility for their own actions as a result of this information they're getting. Your responsibility is to have the actual facts and to have thought enough about those facts that you can say something intelligent. It's creating a story, Josh. the, the, The PowerPoint I sent you for the show. If you'll notice on the PowerPoint, there's a core thesis, and around that core thesis, you tell a story. You put together a mosaic yeah. and what the mosaic should say. Now, so um, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, market's getting smoked. Um, less than 10% of the S&P is above the 10-day for uh, – 10% for five days in Wash a row. Wash out. So – and when that's happened in the past, you get a pretty snappy reflex rally, right? RSI was eight. Do, eight. It, it's It's – the stochastic, That's the whole it. thing, yeah. right? it's there. Yeah. So you know it's going to bounce. So then the question comes to me, and it's why I stopped doing it. Question comes to me, do you buy them here? Oh, yeah, always. Right. I don't know. What's your time frame? Are they going to go up from here in a reflex rally? Uh-huh. Yeah. I think so. But do you buy them here? Right. I have yeah. no idea. Because yeah. I'm not going to tell you that it won't retest that low. And if you buy them here and it breaks that low and you said, hey, you told me to buy them here. I'm- well, this is the other This is the other problem. And I don't want to dwell too much on this. But like it, I remember specifically in either June or July of 2020 after markets had staged that furious comeback. And then they were getting the commentary from Druck and, you know, from some of the uh, – arguably some of the best investors of all time. Tepper. Right? Tepper. Where it's like, this is not where you buy them. Like, you know, it's over, whatever. And that's okay. They they have the right to have that opinion. Um, they could have been right. You know, in hindsight, we know they weren't. But my point was, you know, on the they're like, Josh, you're telling people to buy or to stay the course. But Stanley Druckenmiller said this. And, and I just said very simply, here's the thing. Those are two of the greatest traders of all time. They're in the pantheon, right? Mm-hmm. Stipulated. Sure. And I'm not. But- the reason they became the greatest of all time is that they can reverse their opinion 180 Correct. degrees in five like seconds. That. And they With probably futures. did. And will put billions of dollars behind that reversed opinion. And they've done it in the past. Mm-hmm. And they probably did in the summer or fall of 2020. They're not going to call you. That's right. So if you take the if you take the bearish commentary from them and utilize that, you may not get the phone call. You probably won't. Druck's not calling you. That concept, I think, is lost on a lot of people. That's right. When they're they're taking the commentary of somebody, thinking it's personal advice for them, and then they get mad because that person changed their mind. Hey, you didn't say 
dude, you, how much did you pay me? Zero dollars? One of the Druck reasons on, I like Druck you on guys. Patreon? Druck's on Patreon, I think. <laughs> what, one of the reasons I like you guys. I mean, Cameo. You know, we could be silly. You could get this is to... a serious topic. Yeah. And the seriousness of this topic is, like Larry Wachtel said, it's not a game. It's not a game no. managing other people's money. No. And when people go, when people do that and they say, you're right, please, for the love of God, yeah. don't listen to somebody like me at a data point and not watch the show I'm on or the website I'm on. You got to follow along. Like Druck, Druck he, he's even said, I made a huge mistake there, yeah. but I reversed could, it quickly. Yeah. If you didn't, like you said, Josh, if you don't follow that, he's not calling Well, that's you. the other thing. That's the other thing. We're a data point. Tony, Tony Robbins, um, spent like a few months pretending to be a financial advisor. He wrote a book for regular people, like how to invest for retirement. And I like, I think he's well-intentioned. I, th I mean, I think he was trying to do a good book. Um, so he calls his best friends. He calls Ray Dalio. <laughs> he calls and he, and he's asking guys that made their money running the most successful hedge funds ever. Like what financial planning advice could you give the readers of my book who have $30,000 in an IRA? And the whole thing is obviously ridiculous. So I think that's another thing that people um, get wrong. Yeah. You listen to Jeff Gunlock macro commentary. No offense. You're not Jeff Gunlock. You're not running $120 billion in bonds. The shit he's saying may not apply to your 401k. Can you just watch and learn and not act yeah. on it? Use right? it as a data point. So then he's bearish. Obviously, he's selling fixed income and he's wrong. And people are like, oh, Gunlock screwed me up. I, I got out of stocks because I was listening to him. Dude, Like it, when you're painting your house, are you like trying to emulate um, uh, Michelangelo? Because you guys are not doing the same thing. Can I explain? Can I take a minute to explain where this thing can go sideways? And you know this, but I, I think it's important for the listeners and viewers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The problem with listening to somebody, taking their input and taking an action is you have no true conviction in that action. You just so believe happens, in that person. Right. So yeah. when it goes against you, mm. you tend to do the wrong thing. So how do you panic into a whoosh when five days in a row you got single digits of the S&P above, uh, above their 10-day uh, moving average? Because you, you don't have any conviction. It's not your data. Yeah. I, I always urge people to if – you, if you're going to do it yourself, make sure you come up with your own process – don't use Josh's or Tony or Michael's process. Or use worse. your own because that way you know what to do when it's going sideways. Or worse, don't switch your guru each day yeah. based on the last opinion you heard. Because <laughs> none of us are. Well, like, that's the full well, stop for, fact. Even if, you think, even if you think somebody literally can predict the future reliably, even if you believe that – don't switch which person you're listening that's to. It, that's right. But you know what? The problem is you can tell somebody a million times every single day, don't listen to me on TV, don't listen to me on TV. I'm just Stay a person. Well. I've had this conversation with family members, the same family member, a hundred times about what Josh said. I said, I love Josh. He's very smart, very charismatic and knows, you know, knows, but, but don't listen to him on a day-to-day -day basis for stocks. And it doesn't get through to these people. And it's not just one family member. There's multiple people they don't believe. That, you they so don't worried? believe that the people don't like, know. Like, where's it come around to? The same thing we started out with. Who could tell a good story? That's it. Who can get the mosaic? Well, people want to be told. People want to be told what I, to do. I used to. I used to right. buy. I mean, we think we don't, but we, we do. I used we to do. buy Barons for the the round table, the stock picks, and the round table. I loved it. Like this is when I'm like 22, 23. I'm in the business. I don't know anything, and I think like this is what you're supposed to do. And like Abby Joseph Cohen would be quoted in the round table, and she was great. Like no, no disrespect, and her equity ideas were not hers. 
Goldman Sachs has 500 analysts and they take the best yeah. ideas, filter it up to her so she can make her appearance and, and say the stock ideas. And I would buy them and they would invariably go down. <laughs> Not because of anything she did wrong. No, it's, it's just, just the nature of the market. So, so, so I go up to Feshbeck. And I was like, office. I thought she was a genius. She I is a genius. She but- is a genius, but not at that. <laughs> so I go into Feshbeck's office. I was, it was Barron's. On the cover of Barron's was Upjohn. And mm. they had come out with Minoxidil. Michael, you know what Minoxidil is, right? What is that, a pharmaceutical company? No, it's, it's the stuff it's for Rogaine. baldness. It's, it's Rogaine. Rogaine. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, I go up and I bought it. I bought options on it because I I'm an idiot. I thought you bought the solution. Well, I did too. And it, it worked well. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, go up, I, go, <laughs> I go up to his office and I put the cover of Barron's on his desk. Right? I'm learning. I told him I didn't know. Yeah. I put the cover of Barron's on his desk with Upjohn. I go, you know, I, it's in Barron's. It's a great story and I'm already losing money. I think I should buy more. And he looks at me and he goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes, why would you ever throw good money after bad money? Yeah. And he could have told me that a 50 billion times and it wasn't until I enough. I lost enough in the options market to pay for a, a, a What a makes it bad money that the stock went down? No, it kept going down and it kept going down. It okay. had good news. It peaked on good news and it started to go down. Yeah. And of course I bought the wrong vehicle, even if it, which, well, is that's, another, that's, which is another way in which stocks break your brain, going going peaking on good news. That's right. But, but, all right. I want to get all into right. your stuff here. Yeah. So you mentioned your thesis. So far, you're spot on. So I'll spot you. It's been, it's been a month and a week, but still. <laughs> I, you're spot <laughs> on for more. 22. I want to just like recite a piece of your core thesis, and then you're going to tell us the rest. Okay. Core inflation remains historically high. You wrote this in December? Yep. Okay. The highest level of core inflation in a generation should continue to reinforce the Fed's more hawkish tone. They have only gotten more hawkish since you said that um, and plan to wind down the balance sheet. There are two items that appear hopeful on inflation, year-over-year change in unit labor costs. And what's the other one? The other one is the 10-year inflation break-even. It's the market-based inflation break-even. All right. Let's do one at a time. And, John, if you would, throw up the uh, throw up the non-farm unit labor co- – core PCE versus non-farm unit labor costs. Chart on. Now, just keep in mind, most of our audience is not Larry Wachtel. No, so, well, the great thing about Larry is he simplified it, and that hopefully so do, is my so gift. Do, so, all right, so all do right, that. So what you see in front of you is the blue line is the um, core PCE. That's the Fed's preferred inflation measure. That's, that's what they stated they use. Okay. I love – people say, why don't – use the CPI or what about this – I use what the guys printing the money tell me yeah. to use. <laughs> yeah. I don't try and outthink it. So why do they use this? One. What does it take out? It, it, takes it out has a lower per, no. It has a lower percentage of owners equivalent rent. That's it's the it? same makeup. It's basically it. Okay. They had, so in other words, owners equivalent rent or the cost of housing is a much bigger percentage in the CPI than it is the core in the PCE. Okay. No, bo- and both of them have a core which excludes food and energy. That's the right. blue line is showing you. Um, the core PCE, core right. inflation based on the one the Fed uses. Um, the red line is unit labor costs, non-farm unit labor costs. Now, according to my friend Chris Lowe, because again, I'm, I'm not that bright. I know a lot of bright people. My friend Chris Lowe you know, reinforced to me that um, that red line, unit labor costs, is a broader measure than average hourly earnings. So that's the, the better one to use. So my friends at Ned Davis, where I get most of my charts – they show that there's a correlation coefficient of 0.87. And so in English, that means they move together. Yeah, it's a little noisier. The red line is a little noisier than the blue line, but they end up in the same place. But they place. end up in the same place. And what you'll notice is the red line's been going down for three or four months on a year-over-year basis. Okay. Right? So that suggests that 
core inflation, which is a year-over-year indicator, should begin to turn down at some time in the spring. So what we have, guys, is the Fed in a box. I did I do videos and, and, and written stuff. The Fed's in a box because current inflation, they got two things, inflation and unemployment. Inflation's way too hot on current, and unemployment is way too low. Mm. They're they have to raise rates in March. They said they're going to do it. The market is ahead of them, frankly. Yeah. Right. But the market. Well, the market raised rates four times. Two-year Treasury it, is what, one of the quarter at least. At least four. Yeah. Like if you look at if you look at the Fed the Fed funds futures versus the dot plot, it's much more aggressive on the Fed funds futures, which is why our call for long-term rates. This chart plus the next one, which is the ten-year inflation break-evens, which is the market-based inflation expectations. Uh, if you ask me to explain it perfectly, I can't. You know, my kids have a funny thing in their business. If you don't know the answer, Google it. Right. <laughs> right. right. So, if you want a description of it, Google it. Uh, John, give us U.S. break-even. How, how, how accurate are break-even expectations? Are inflation no, expectations? They change yeah. dramatically, just like Fed but policy. So, how often does this actually predict future inflation? Well, let's just look at the chart. I'm not worried about its predictability. I look at where it is relative to where it's ever been. So coming, so guys, every recession in my career has been this has been from a unique reason: savings and loan crisis, Saddam Hussein invades Kuwait, right? Ni early 90. 1990. Yeah. Then you had the dot com, but it was that wasn't the recession. The recession was 9/11, the global shutdown that came from a credit crisis. World, Worldcom, the, the various- You don't think the NASDAQ crash alone was putting us in a recession because all that Y2K spending dropped off it definitely, a cliff? It definitely helped it for okay. 100%. And then Enron, Worldcom, and then 9-11. It, it, it was a like a crisis. triple whammy. It was everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the, and the globe was weakening pretty hard too. Russia, Remember commodities Ruble, were still low. Uh, Asian contagion. That was 97, capital. 98. What I'm saying right? is a contributor. Yeah, it all goes into- yeah. Recessions don't happen on a dime. I, I was on Fast Money, I think it was in, uh, I know what day- August 26th of 2019. Mm. And I was on there because they had their graphic, which I never get input on, was the DeWire's doomsday clock, which is pretty rare for me because I tend to be an optimist. And it was because the yield curve- You should have your head explode on the graphic, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was exploding. Right. Anyway, um, so the bottom line is it takes a while for us. So we had that one. Then we had the great financial crisis and, of course, the pandemic. Always a unique reason to go into recession. And What's the answer for the recession? What's the solution every time? Low rates. Print as much money as you can. Yeah. As much money. So the human nature behavior of the market coming out of the recession should be somewhat consistent. More extreme each time because the amount of printing. Oh, that's but interesting. somewhat consistent. The reaction to the recovery should be consistent even if the reason for the recession is wildly inconsistent. So, so let's look at that chart that right. we had on the 10-year inflation break even. And the point that I'm making chart in, on. Is in, the, in this chart – is that the U.S. inflation 10-year weekly graph, when you look at the peak, that horizontal blue line, yeah. it's what happened coming out of dot-com. Mm. It's what happened coming out of the great financial crisis. And it hasn't surpassed those levels and it stayed there. Okay. So the unit labor cost and the inflation break-evens are, are suggesting the opposite of what too many people like me are saying, that the Fed's behind the curve. The two data points that have excellent accuracy over time are suggesting that the market believes the Fed. Yeah. That I, the Fed is going to get a hold on this thing. Right. But then the question is how many rate hikes do they need to get a hold of this thing? That's where the Fantastic discrepancy question. comes and in. And do they okay. go too far? So here – awesome. I love – that's why I love these shows. I can actually explain stuff. You have 30 seconds. It's never the absolute <laughs> level. Right. Right. Take us to commercial. Yeah. Is that – hold on. I hear the music. <laughs> So, <laughs> right, so, got it, got so it. 
the number one question I'm getting now, and I always get at this point in the cycle, is what's the level of rates that's going to shut it down or create a problem? And from in my experience, it's never the level of rates. It's whatever the rate is to invert and flatten the curve and shut down financial And the Fed conditions. won't do that deliberately. No. So, so like for How now. How could they? So they do it every time because the 10-year trades below where they, they do ever it, think it But they it don't will. do it like deliberately. Now. It just happens. It just happens. Yeah. Because they raise rates and then what happens is the 10-year trades below it. And remember, the yield curve in English, I, this is where I love to be able to do this. In English, the yield curve simply means what is a lending or, or investing institution getting their money at and what return do they get by investing it yeah. or lending it? So if a bank is getting their money at 0% and they're lending it at 2%, that's the same difference at getting their money at 4% and lending it at 6 It's 200 basis points. When that inversed, why would a bank ever lend money to lose money? So what happens is the long-term inflation outlook Gets better as they're raising so why rates. Would a right. Why would a bank pay 400, 400 basis points on deposits and lend money at two, 200 basis points? Of course they wouldn't. Never happen. That would never happen. Which and is what shuts, shuts down, down the economy. That's what shuts down money movement. Here's the problem. I've, I've got a, a chart that I sent you guys that looks at the long-term Fed funds rate. Okay? Which one is that? Um, it's the from the Philadelphia Fed or St. Louis Fed, yep. one of the two. Uh, is this the Fed is about to embark on a tight, tightening cycle? No. The, so, yes. Yeah, so here's this chart is the Fed funds rate. It's I love this. the overnight rate. And what happen, What you see every cycle is a lower peak. I wish I could get up and point to the chart. No, I, I got it. Because In 2018, we peaked at 2.5% Fed yeah. funds rate before they had to start cutting again. So I hope you remember this. I'm sure I, yeah. I was doing a show with you at, at near around it. In 2019, when Jerome Powell – 2018 – when Jerome Powell said we're nowhere near neutral. Yeah, that scared the shit out of everybody. It scared the shit out of it. My next report was the next rate move is going to be a cut. Yeah. Because you were bouncing that line up against what the downtrend line. So why is each peak of the Fed funds rate at a lower level? And the answer is because there's so much debt. If your solution to a recession is to print more money, an excessive amount of money, I can afford this. I'm making numbers up. I can afford a million dollar house at 3%, right? I can afford maybe even a million dollar house at 4%. I cannot afford a million and a half dollar house at 4%. So what happens is when you throw so much money at it, what do you do with the money? You invest it. Yeah. What happens with that money when you invest it? It lifts the asset price. So what people like me rarely do is talk about you to turn over and create that economic activity. You have to turn over money. But there's going to be a point where people can't afford that million and a half dollar house at 4%. Yeah. The, only, the only way you can afford a higher priced house and a higher interest rates is if you get some magic money coming in from your income, which doesn't happen, yeah. or you have lower interest rates. So, so to your point, we have never, or maybe once, it looks like maybe once, we've never, other than one time right around the year 2000, we have not had- the peak in Fed funds rates eclipsed the prior peak coming out of the previous recession. That is correct, since 1982. Right. But so this thing between 1995 and 2000 is a little bit aberrant because they never yeah. really – So so here's an interesting thing. What's that, a, a that, was, that, that last cut was 98 during the, yeah. during the Asian crisis yeah, that, and it wasn't had nothing to do with our economy. Well, what has – so in 1995, what most people don't know – I. I love the market history. 1995, the first two quarters of GDP as reported were 0.5% growth. 
Mm. So if a recession is negative growth two quarters in a row, 0.5% growth. Yeah. Right. So that's that 1994 move in credit, that high spike in yields, that shut down credit. And that was one of the worst internal bear markets. It was it was last year, basically, for a lot of stocks. Yeah. You had an internal bear market that ended up with almost a recession. It was close to recession. So I would say, Josh, on, on that 1994 move in 95 to 98. It was also a surprise. He was doing intermeeting moves, uh, Greenspan, yeah. in 94. We were just talking about that. We were just put, talking that, about that. That put Michael Steinhardt out of business, the 94 surprise rate hike. It was brutal. It I was mean, worse for the bond guys than for stock guys. It always is. So, so bond guys, how about this one? If you look at the 20-day rate of change on the high-yield index, mm. yield to worst, the only time I can find outside a recession, it was as sharp as just now. It's 94. It's 2013 and oh. then back to 92. Oh, the taper tantrum. The taper tantrum, tantrum did yeah, yeah. the same kind of thing. All right. What and do you think about, we got some data yesterday that the Mannheim, which is a hilarious name for the used car price index, mm -hmm. uh, is finally flattening out. First time we had like a month over month change that was that was flat in in like a year. It, it did it last year that. too. It, it did it last yeah, year. No, so it, last, remember it last March and April, you had this massive ramp in rates? Mm. Right, because that's when I, I shifted my market opinion. Because you had had such a sharp move in rate expectations, um, and it was based a lot on the Mannheim index and its impact on the consumer price index. Right, so then it came down because it's a year-over-year -year calc, and then they gave out more stimulus. When you give people, we're going to be in an economic transition that goes from buying stuff to doing stuff. Yeah. Right when you give people trillions goods of dollars, to, goods to services, to, and you don't let them go anywhere, they're going to buy stuff. That's right, and that's what they did. So there's a chart that I have um, that I sent you guys. It's the one that looks at the breakup of G the makeup of GDP between goods and services. You had a spike in goods coming off of the pandemic low to a degree that I don't think you ever have. This one right here. So the top third of that chart. Unbelievable. Is durable wow. goods is a percentage of total personal Holy consumption. Holy shit, look at that spike. You've never seen, but it's, it's also pulled back, okay? What's in that? It's cars. Uh, it's durable goods. Microwave stuff. Like ovens. Things you buy anything. House. Washing machines. Wood chippers. All that stuff. Things that yeah. go on a ship that get shipped right. to us. So that's, that's, you know, it became, it went from like 8, eight to 13% of economic activity. Now, and that shows up heavily in these inflation data big calculations. But, big big, but the bigger one is services never go down. Wait, wait, Not like that. But wait, wait. Not before like we that. even get services, this assumption that everyone who bought a used car and a dishwasher last year is also going to buy one this year. Right, right. That's not how this shit works. Buddy. So I got another chart. <laughs> Buddy. That, John, I brought, a, <laughs> I, bought a lot, I bought a lot of, I brought a lot of charts. So right. there's another one I, I sh that I have that's wholesale inventories hit a record. So if you want 10 widgets and you're in a supply chain constraint and the demand is extraordinary because of all the free money, what do you do? If you want 10 widgets, you order 20. Double ordering. Yeah. So, so the you, fourth quarter inventories. A, a never was, before were huge. seen level yeah. of inventory build, which is led by five months by goods orders. Right? If you're gonna you need so that turned down about three or four months ago. So that's suggesting that inventory is going to be depleted. It's also what happened in 2005, 2011. So I think what we're, we're doing is replicating the economic movement because the, the solution was the same. It'll, of course, it'll be different to some degree, mm -hmm. but it's a similar type of thing. So what, what's going to happen is we're in this transition where inventories are being depleted, which means you're producing less. So goods is down. ISM is coming down from the Institute of Supply Management. has peaked and coming down from the 60s. We're going to produce a lot less. We got enough. We overordered. The transition from that 
buying stuff to doing stuff. That's the services number. Yeah. John, go back one. That's it. That's it right there. And my, to Michael's point, that number never, fall, never falls. Never. So when it did, the only way that could happen is it was forced to. It was forced to. So yeah. thank God, because if you think inflation is bad now, imagine in services along with goods. Ben and I were just talking about the fact that a lot of this pull forward stuff might have been really bad for a lot of businesses that we thought was good at the time, like Zoom, for example, and Peloton and Robinhood and all of these numbers that were so distorted that made comps absolutely barbaric, like just impossible. Yeah. I think crushed a lot of these companies. It, it's going to – part of the issue is going to be to manage inventory depletion because you rushed out to buy, get enough stuff to create stuff where your demand's going to weaken because I want to go on a trip. I don't want to buy another snowmobile, right? I, I, I want to go somewhere. Yeah, I've, I've had enough of looking at the house. Everyone bought a boat. Everyone bought a jet ski. Everybody bought motorcycle, uh, patio furniture, f- stuff for their backyard. We, everyone did that. Let's, let's assume. Correct. What's, the next step is not more of that. Right. Right. How many like unless you Which want to know why the travel stocks act so well right now, I think. I, I mean we're we've got a wedding to go to in Spain and I can't wait. We're gonna probably do a cruise. We're gonna do a lot of stuff. But bring your snowblower. So <laughs> all right. So, so 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 what you see in this chart is you've got a massive spike in inventories and look at in 2011 what happened you came down look at in two th- in the in 2005 you came down from peak you build inventories when there's finally demand after a recession if the solution is the same the human nature reaction some people think that companies are somehow different than every no it's a guy or a gal running the company yeah, it's a cfo it's a it, right Person. so they're getting stuff because they got to make it they got it because they got finally Tony, got demand. Tony, what are Joe Biden's economic advisors telling him exactly what you just said? Like, is what's the guy's name? Jared Bernstein or whatever? No, that's the old guy. I don't think is he the guy now. I don't. I think he's know. back. Whoever Biden's. So Biden is probably every night he goes home. These goddamn inflation numbers. Everyone hates me. And then he's got a chief economist or whatever national economic advisor who's probably saying to him, "No, you don't understand." The leading indicators are telling us inflation is about to drop off a cliff. It doesn't matter to him. Basically, here's the problem. You've got really high inflation. It's all anybody's talking about or caring right. about. So here's the – here to me, the risk isn't monetary. The market is already priced in more Fed rate hikes than the Fed is predicting. It's already there, right? To me, the issue is does the government try – does the president try to do something mm. to fix it? What? You've Price got controls? terrible polling numbers. So – there's been there's and there's a history of that when you're in a midterm election year with a first term president and the numbers aren't great and inflation's a problem you got to quote unquote do something and that creates it could be geopolitical it could be price controls JFK did it with steel prices back in 1962 where he got into a pu- very public battle yeah. with um with the CEO of US Steel well he just did something stupid that already didn't work with the strategic uh petroleum reserve he, what did he do? He sold barrels out of it, and then the price immediately went higher. It's, it, it always happens so that stu- way. It's, right. it's like it's like it's like um, so he already tried. trying to manage the currency. It, it doesn't work. Yeah. You can't. Right. It's an open free market. Right. So so they're not going to be able to do it. So to me, the risk is in the upcoming maybe dock workers negotiation on the West Coast. I, I'm told in April. Cruises and airlines are on fire. Because, uh, casinos, o- because Omicron has crested. Casinos, and now to your point, people want to go do stuff. You're going to go do stuff. So, so that economic stocks. transition creates a soft spot. Yeah. Right. So we're in that soft spot. So you got a Fed in a box going back to the yeah, Wait, how long does that transition take between um, goods calming down and services ramping up? 
Is that one quarter? I think that- it, I, my call is it's by the first half. It's the first half. It's why I was defen- – not defensive. I, I was I, I was looking for a tumultuous year as you started the show out because yeah. of that f- Fed uncertainty and economic transition. I wanna, I, I'm thinking first no, half. Hold on. Before we get that, you know what hit an all-time high today? All-time high. Huh? Mar- Marriott. Did it really? Wow. Makes perfect sense. Um, I want to go back to your comments. This is back to you. Earnings per share direction should remain positive. The market correlates with the direction of EPS, which should remain soundly positive over coming quarters, despite the impact of higher costs, economic transition, and uneven global economy. Margins peak when the top line falls, not when costs go up from macro perspective. Okay. Most people think it's the opposite. Right. Most people look at rising cost of labor, rising cost of commodities, and they say margins are about to peak. You're saying that's not actually how that works. No, because you're you can you can always pass it through. Always, it's, every industry, or just no, generally? no, no. That's macro. That's a macro. Yeah. So if you look at S and P 500 earnings, like people like me do, and you say, okay, costs are going up, that means margins are going to weaken and earnings are coming down. Nope. It doesn't happen that okay. way. Margins are at record highs. The only last quarter market margins hit a record high. So why we're even debating it publicly is beyond Chipotle's me because got, that answers Chipotle's the question. got three price hikes since the pandemic started. Right. They did one in December. They're putting through another one. They put through another one in January. Okay, so this is the chart, which is which you can see. It's S&P, operating, S&P 500 operating margin against the unemployment rate inverted. See how they keep there? See how they keep that, that margin at all costs pretty much? So but then what happens? So what changes it? What changes it is you lose your job or you lose your credit, right? So when credit starts to tighten up, well, at least I'm working. And then when you're not working, you don't have any money to do anything. And so margins tighten up, right? They start to come down. Because people are spending less. They're spending less. You could pass through the cost when you have cost increases, but you can't fix revenue when it's dropping. I gave this example before. Either the the CEO of Lennar or Pulte or one of the home builders they raised prices, obviously, when the cost of everything went up. And when lumber crashed for a second, they said, now the cost of lumber came down. Are you lowering your prices? And they, what did they say? We're taking it to margin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We're keeping it for our trouble. So, by the way, Chipotle- Well, look at a bank. A bank is pretty slow. And when rates when rates come look down, they're ga- slow and lowering Look at a gas station. How, how f***ing fast does that price per gallon go up with the price of oil? Before the gas goes up. And then, <laughs> the, price and then of oil the price of oil, oil collapses, and it's like three weeks before you see that at the pump. And it hurts the exact wrong people. Like this whole idea, um, unfortunately, the lack of investment in, in energy- is, is, is obviously a problem, right? Because you still need a lot of gas. The problem is if you look at the percentage, if you look at the bottom quintiles of income, it's about 10%. Your gas usage per household per year is roughly a, a little under 10% for the bottom, the second lowest quintile of income. For the top quintile, it's like 1.4. Yeah. So it's the ultimate regressive cost. It's the worst. Yeah. And this is why asset owners do well. UPS on their last earnings call announced the biggest dividend increase of all time. I want to ask you about- I mean, it's such a big deal that we don't talk enough about. I want to ask you about valuation. So this this is you. The combination of strong earnings growth and correction in the market has allowed valuations to become more attractive, similar to what took place in 2010, 2011. I think the S and P PE multiple in 2011 was like 12. Right. I mean, this is obviously it's, it's not different. It's a that. different, but interest rates were different too. The the point of this this chart is that 
people Which, is, keep- Are we on the right track? Yeah, yeah. So people keep talking about how this is like 2000 and no question, you got concentration of market. But frankly, it was much worse in the 19, early 1970s than it was in 2000. People, let me give you a history lesson on 2000 because it was painful. <laughs> so in the last quarter, I, I almost got, I don't want to say fired, but I, yeah, I almost got fired because I, I wrote a, a report called Cash is King, Please Raise Cash. That was the title of the report. Yeah, nobody makes Except, money from and, that report. And, and, no. And I almost got fired. Mr. Dwyer, put that back in your drawer. And it was, and it was like, <laughs> right, right, you know, and the market went up 30%. So the, the, the NASDAQ composite went up almost 50% in the fourth quarter of 1999. Yeah, I remember. It didn't do that in the fourth quarter of last year, just to be clear. Yeah. Then it went down and it began the year with an 11.8% drop. And then guess how much it went up into the peak by March? Another so, 35%. Yeah. yeah. Right, and then another thing that people don't realize is in 2000, you peak them. Everybody talks about March of 2000, and that that was the price. Well, that was the peak. Nasdaq peak by August. Yeah, you almost broke into a new high territory in the S and P. The Nasdaq obviously didn't get up, but it still bounced. So our view is that valuations and are contracting like they did in 2010 and 2011 because earnings are going up so much faster so all, than the market. We're good all con- calling this good contraction. We're all calling this the re-rating, but you're saying the E in PE e. is still growing. Totally. Which is why the multiple is coming down even faster than it otherwise yeah. would. The mul- multiple came down where last do you year. Have the multi- where do you have the f- next 12, next four quarter uh, PE ratio right now? I, I use 20 now. I use 20 because that's the average PE when core inflation is between 1% and 3%. And I believe that core inflation will drop to below 3%. That's, you're saying that's where we're currently valued? That's where I think fair value is because that's the average. So where, where are we though in real life? I think it's like 18. What, what is it now? So, okay, so we've- I'm at 225 divided by 18 or 19. I don't even know. So we've overcorrected I, already I, in hold multiples. On, hold on, let me do this so I don't make a mistake on such a, a big podcast. Um, while, you're, while you're crunching that, John, throw up this demographic tailwind. I talk about this all the time. It's I don't, 20 times, so it's right around fair value. Plus or minus. Okay, so I don't, I don't specifically believe that anybody can look at demographics and divine a market opinion from them. And I've also seen two people take the same data and come up with the opposite. So, like Harry Dent Jr. says, "Demographics are destiny," and we're fucked. Look at all these boomers. What does Harry Dent Sr. say? And then, and then Tom Lee says the same data. He says, "No, actually." We have a boom in 30-year-olds, 31-year-olds, 32-year-olds. Tom's right about This mm-hmm. is the household formation boom that we've been waiting for since the year 2000. Yep. Is you're, it seems that you're in the same camp. I, I've been using this chart for the last six years in and my picture book. Okay. And here's why. Well, when tell did people, you get married? Tell people what who are listening. What age did you get married? Uh, 20 – shit. Shari, if you're listening, I love you. Uh, <laughs> uh, 2003. I was born in 77. How old was I? 28? Okay. Michael, close enough. Close I was enough. I was twenty. I was actually twenty eight. All right, I was I was twenty eight. Right, I was twenty six. So, yeah. so when oh, is your house? When you get married? I got. I met Patty. I love you, Patty. When you listen, yeah. I met Patty when I was twenty seven. Got married at twenty eight. First son at twenty nine. Second one at thirty. Out to the burbs I go with a big SUV. Oh, we're giving a shout out to our wives, our Robin, Sounds Robin, right? Robin, whatever. Right. Yeah, and, and to everybody's wife. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but so here's the point of this, Josh. That's the demographics. I moved to I, when I was 25. 
was no plan to have a, a couple of car leases, a mortgage, right, and a lot of insurance. you spending the way that you were two years <laughs> right. later. Fast forward, not. I meet Patty, and, and, and the game is on. We have two boys, and we move out to the Burbs. And you're that's, now you're that's spending this for, chart. Now you're spending for four. Now you're spending for four, but you're spending differently. Remember the millennials were always going to take Uber. They were never going to move oh, out of this city. Right. It was, it was, it was gonna the be dumbest this, thing I've ever heard in my life. It was going to be endless uh, uh, MDMA now, field now there's brunch. Not, there's not enough cars. Have. I mean, sorry. There's not enough houses for us. Do you know what's, <laughs> you know what's as dumb as that? That you're going to retire – you guys are money managers for people. Yeah. You're going to retire at 62 to 65. You're going to live 30 years. Yeah, I'm not retiring. On like a total of I'm trying to get Barry to even discuss. Barry just turned 60. He won't even discuss retirement. So I, well, I, don't, I don't think I'm retiring. You don't want him to get bored. No, I, just, I joke with him. No. So this so, chart is showing the number of millennials turning 30 right. suggests household formation spending and investment can continue so this is a boom in people born in 1990. No, it Correct. will continue. Which they just turned 30. Not can it definitely will. It, w- it, it has, has to. to. Yeah. It has to. It has. But what do you need for that? You need lower interest rates to afford the higher houses. You need more houses. Other stuff. More houses. You, you know that that comes after the kids that are grown up, right? So. No, but we have a shortage of houses. Oh, we absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Ivy Zellman, you should have her on. She's, I call her the queen of home building. She's yeah, yeah. fantastic. Wait, I'm sorry. Did we talk about, we, did we just speak about this S&P with EPS chart? Can we yeah. just throw something one more time? Sure. This is very simple. Stocks actually represent ownerships of businesses. I know like we just trade them on the screen, whatever. Like they actually represent ownerships of businesses and where earnings go, the price of stocks follow. It's very simple. Michael, I swear to God. You know, the problem became for me in this business when, and I've worked at NASDAQ over the counter firms, when people started trading symbols instead of what it was intended for, which That's my is generation. you want to buy a piece of business. Well, mine too, honestly. Like we I'm don't even, we, when, when, I, when I was like 23, 24, we stopped even calling these companies by their names. We started Just, referencing them as symbols. That's it. And I remember, you know, when, when I used- JDSU was the company. <laughs> JDS Uniphase can kiss my ass. Our so, friend Joe Fami tells the best story ever about the, ni- the late 90s. He tells his friend, he's like, dude, that biotech. He goes, that's a biotech? Oh, okay. That's, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so this chart, the reason it's so important, I've made so many mistakes in my life and career, right? I still make them. So when people do, I got you. It's the dumbest. It's just awful because, right. of course. Oh, we know. Right. Aw- so, awful people. So when what I've learned in those mistakes is the core thesis. Here's the core thesis in a nutshell. The fact is the market moves with a direction of earnings. It's not debatable. Mm. That's a fact, right? Look at it. Does one you don't peak, need to be a master does market peak, Does guy. one peak before the other historically? I don't even – they move together. I, it's I a non – the non, it can, peak, but it's not less. I don't want to optimize so it. If I wanna, profits are go- growing, stock prices historically are also growing. And that's what's growing. happened. And it's not serial correlation, which means they always move up. Right, you can see that when earnings go down, stocks go down. And look at this so chart; let's, so, very clear. So right. what that's are, the, right. the if court you had to thesis. Show somebody one chart. This is it. But yeah. there's four other points. So the market moves with the direction of earnings. Well, what drives earnings? Economic activity. What drives what, that? What drives economic activity? Money availability. Yeah. Right. What drives that? Fed policy. Mm. And what drives that? They told us core inflation and unemployment. Mm. It's not science. It's not. It's it's. Those are 
so every time I get I get stupid and make a bad call, meaning it's you always because I'm from not that, that correct, framework. Correct. Okay. So I've tried over the, since we've known each other as well as we have. I've tried to not deviate from that as painful as it can be. Because there's always this fifth thing, like Russia invades Ukraine right. or China is saber rattling over time. There's always this other thing. Property values and property companies in uh, China. Fed, are, are uh, uh, national debt. There's like there's always that other thing in the back of your head. It always comes down. I, I have another chart. I hope John can bring it up. It's money availability. It's it's an excess liquidity chart. It's a real liquidity. What are we looking at here? All right. So people look you have at to money go supply. To find that one. Yeah. We have that higher in the dock. Yeah. Money supply, everybody looks at, and it grew at a level that's never seen been seen before at 24%. What I like to look at one year money supply exploded by twenty four percent in one year. Right. So so here's what happens. Is this it? No, this is not money supply. This is real liquidity, which takes money supply growth plus a very key component, guys. Equity and bond, mutual funds, and ETFs, readily available money. Which, money you right, can go to the- can be sold and used. In a day, right? Yeah. Why are we then taking out industrial production? No, because that's what's being used for economic activity. Real liquidity is what you have oh, versus what you need to spend. So on a household level, it's utilities and cable and things like that, right? And, and, and real liquidity- it's what you have readily available versus what's being used for economic activity. So as you see in 2003, a never-before-seen spike, right? In 2008 and into early 2009, again, a, never support, a, a new high in excess liquidity. And look at what we did this time. We kept it there for two years. And it's, do and it's double the size of the prior peak. It's double the size. So if you look at how high that 30% is relative to the prior peak, yeah. that's drawn because of this cycle. What is the it message, looked the though? same last cycle. What, so what that happens as it reverses? We're doing what we do normally. When it comes down, it just means you're putting the money into economic use. It's a good thing. Yeah. Okay. It's not because – it's not that money's going away or it's tightening. It's being used by companies. If you do a bazillion-dollar bond offering, right, if you're a company, CFO doesn't put it to use in the first day. They put it in a bank. Remember the reverse repo stuff? Yeah. That was getting everybody crazy? Yeah, late 19. It, the only reason that that was – no, that was even after this because that surge in, in excess liquidity and money supply, you, you do a bond offering, you got to put the money in a bank. Mm. Where are you going to put it? Yeah. If you're a company, you raise $500 million in a bond offering. Yeah, you don't, you, what, you if you're not put using it, it all at once, then it's got to sit And you're somewhere. not going into futures. Right. You're going to put it pumps. in a guarantee. You're going to put it in short-term T-bills. Right. Right? Okay. And that is a really big deal. So that wasn't a lack of liquidity. That was just money waiting to be something, it, it for something to be done with. It was forced into T-bills, and they're not – here's another one that nobody talks about. All right? How about this one? Thank God the Fed's tapering because if they hadn't started tapering, they would have bought all the bonds. In 2018, when quantitative rates were rising, quanti quantitative tightening, you had a trillion-dollar tax cut. You were funding it with production of treasury bills, not just treasury bills, but treasuries, yeah. government paper. So you were letting stuff roll off the balance sheet at the same time as having a massive increase in supply to fund the tax cut. Today, it's opposite. The treasuries put out in the last two quarters a statement saying they're producing less treasuries because there's no need – because there's a stimulus. So when you're buying less paper, it's neutralized because you're producing less paper. Right. And, and when you go into QT, you're not fighting increased supply. 
Right. So how does that stuff impact earnings? Because if we're saying that earnings drive stocks, how does that stuff impact earnings? That it's all about money availability. So what level of rates is the most important? It goes back to- What is it? Is and it it's Fed what funds? It, or? It's, it's, so banks are now getting their money. They initially get it at the deposit rate. So I have two yield curves you look at. In the beginning of a cycle, it's the deposit rate or three month against the five year, your average duration. Right, that's the right one to look at. It's the cost three month to five year versus twos and tens, which nobody, is what everyone nobody else looks like. And twos and tens, you use when they so after the bank earnings. My friend Brian Reynolds, who's my one of my credit guys, he pointed out that the top, I think it was four banks: Goldman, Bank of New York, SoFi. A couple, of, a couple other <laughs> That's like me, a shameless plug to wirestrategy.com. Um, so anyway, <laughs> when you look at those banks, they raised, I, I believe it was $28 billion in corporate credit in a week. So now they're raising money in the market. Now you right. use the 210. Right. Because that's the they're getting their money in the market in a duration. In the beginning of a cycle, they get it by the deposit rate. In the middle part of the cycle and beyond, they get it in the open market, so you use a different yield curve. Let's go to corporate credit real quick. Sure. Um, I think this is from Tracy Alloway. She did this Throw post. this doubts about debt chart up, John. Black chart. Uh, measures of corporate credit so risk have jumped if, recently. If, if we were to zoom out, this is really, you know, it's nothing with nothing. But it is no, it is noteworthy that finally this is starting This is starting to hit the credit market, the, the equity volatility that we've seen. But the, the next chart I think is more interesting. Almost always- and this is only going back five years, but almost always stocks get hit harder than bonds. I mean, stating the very obvious. In the most recent drawdown, at least for the S&P, investment-grade credit had a lower drawdown than stocks, or at least where they are today. It's, it was very interesting because, the la again, the last time I, I looked at a couple of ETFs in the investment-grade credit, and the last time you had a 20-day rate of change that was in the yield outside of a recession 2013? was taper tantrum. Yeah. And, and by the way, that was a... Great buying that, opportunity. That was a great buying is opportunity. Is this just normalization? For, for bonds. Is this is this spike in uh, the corporate credit risk? Isn't this just getting us back to normalization? Like there should be bankruptcies. Yeah. If you look back, I, I think I had include. I don't know if I included that. Sure. If you look at corporate credit, Josh. Yeah. They do this. You you have higher. You have in two thousand five and two thousand eleven. Two again. You had a spike in corporate credit yields because you were in this mid this transition a Fed policy that you didn't know how it would, it's the uncertainty. Yeah, you don't know how long it. the hiking is well, going to go way, on Bank for. Of, Josh, I was talking about this yesterday. Bank of America put out a chart showing all the corporate cash on balance sheets that they've already gorged. And so they could they could withstand higher oh rates because they're already flush it's with they've cash. They've got yield. It's, it's, they got years. it's 19 trillion in cash on consumer balance sheets. So if rates go up, they're, they're good. What do you think is going to happen to the to the buybacks? It's a historic level. Again, my buddy Brian Reynolds tracks it. It's a historic level of buyback announcements because you are flush with cash. Yeah. You don't go into recession when you have too much money. And there's a limit to how you could even invest that cash productively outside of buybacks. Yeah. There's not that many things that you can really do. It's, I mean, by now, a lot of the strategic acquisitions have happened because interest rates were so low, you just tapped the corporate All right, so market. So, so Tony, sum up for the, for the listeners. And obviously, this is always subject to change. And we'll have you back on. <laughs> But where you, how you're feeling? But how you're feeling now? Like sum up your just like view of what's going on and whether or not so far. It sounds like you're saying so far most of what we're experiencing is highly predictable of what it looks like after you've come out of a recession, and it just doesn't feel like it. Okay, right? why? Because the numbers are so big. Because the numbers are so big, and 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 
buddy, we're inundated with information every day and we're both on TV, yeah. right? And it makes you feel like, like I love the line, don't just sit there, do something. Yeah, sure. I have the opposite line right now. Don't just do something, sit there. All right, so okay. with that being Let, said, what would you tell our listeners? Stocks going up tomorrow? Stocks going up tomorrow? Give everybody sit. listening individual advice. Yeah, right now. Right now. <laughs> what I want to do is I've said, let's avoid a catastrophic mistake in this in this time frame. And what okay. that is, is puking into the kind of whoosh we saw a couple of weeks ago or buying into a spike, right? A whoosh lower. Yeah. Like we have four key tactical indicators we watch, but I don't want to buy into a spike because I don't have, I don't know what the fed's going to do. I want to see what they say in March. I would rather, I would rather add exposure at a higher price with better data so that when it goes against me, I don't care. I think what you've been very good at Josh is having a rational thought when things are going against you because you have a process and a plan that you believe in. You have well, information you believe in. Well, also making these decisions in advance of what we're going to do and what we're not going to do rather than during. That's exactly – extremely that's my helpful. Point. That's my point. So don't just do something. Sit there. Tony, if we were able to raise interest rates four or five times this year to get off zero and normalize the the monetary situation and the stock market were to deliver – Flat to up or down five percent. That's my call for the Isn't year. that a great year? That's a great year. Like just for society. Like- so, so think about this. You've added trillions of dollars. You've increased prices of homes 40, 50 percent. The economy cannot withstand significantly higher rates. The 10-year bond yield at under 2% is screaming at us mm. that it cannot withstand higher rates. Right. And so if you bring – that's why – if you remember that Fed funds chart, that's why it's a lower peak each cycle because there's so much more debt. It's so much higher Michael also makes this point. There's so much demand for 10-year treasuries. Yeah. Anytime they get near 2%, there are a lot of buyers. I would be very surprised if we get me How can you possibly get your – if you're a pension plan or an endowment and you need a 7% return (laughs) and stocks give you 7% but you're 60% in bonds – and the highest category of fixed income that's liquid is high yield is giving you 5%. Yeah. It doesn't work from a – so what do you do? You put it all in private equity. Yeah. So you have a money flow. They could, they could at least promise you uh, 12%. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> 12% nominal, no problem. Uh, I want to pivot. Uh, Super Bowl, are you a football guy? I don't even know. I know I'll enjoy the game. I'll tell you what. You don't the care playoff, about, I thought don't care about either team or the playoff games. Which ones? The Bills, well, all of them. Bills Chiefs was sick. All of them? Yeah. My, so my dad, growing up, my dad was, he was a roommate in college with a guy named Ted Marshabroda. Uh. Ted Marshabroda was the, the head coach for the um, Baltimore Colts. Okay. And he was an offensive coordinator for the Washington Redskins during Billy Kilmer, Larry Brown, crazy, crazy stuff. And then he was the offensive coordinator for the Bills during um, Jim Kelly. He brought Jim Kelly on. Oh, wow. So we, I have all these pictures of this really cool stuff um, that, you know, they're not... It's just pitchers, but I'll always fan, be a, f- a fan of the Bills just because of that. But I don't really have a. I well, really I feel bad a, that neither of those teams made it. I know. I I, I don't really. That's what. And I'm a Giant fan. But I'm not upset to see uh, the Bengals get a crack at it. Oh, I love it. I was telling my kids about uh, the Icky Shuffle. <laughs> I don't. Were you even born? Did you see the commercial he did again? 
No, he's he back. He did the icky shuffle on the how commercial. Old, how old is this guy? I don't know, but 60. it was funny. It's got to be was 60. Awesome. He was in the arena uh, for one of their games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. I think that's what it was. They made him do the dance. Uh, I, I'm going to really enjoy the game. All right, so who, who who are you rooting for and who do you think is going to win? Cincinnati, I think, probably. Okay, rooting for? I Rooting for, don't know. I'm... I'll say like I say in the stock market, when I don't know, I don't know. All right. I, I think the Bengals, I mean, I don't know anything. I think the Bengals will win just purely based on watching this kid Unbelievable. face down Mahomes. What was he down, 20 points? Unbelievable. I mean, if he can do that, then he can win a Super I'm Bowl. Betting, I'm impressive. betting my ass off. On what, what are you doing? I don't even care. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, put, I, I did. Are you doing the length of the Star Spangled no, Banner? No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm do, like, I'll do Everything. like thing. I'll do like uh, I, I put a bet on it's like twelve to one. Will both teams score a touchdown in the first drive? Probably won't happen, but you know what? I'll, I'll have fun rooting for it. That, you know what's fun are those are those Prop things bets. you do I, it at the office where it's like you know are the boxes? What, yeah, like what what's the color of the oh uh, little prop bets you know, like little crazy. Uh, I'm all about the prop. I'm bets. doing a lot of like five way parways. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> what are the five ways? Buddy, my whole like, life's what, about it's, so mainly it, like touchdowns. You know, and like oh, like which player will score or which team? Yeah. Uh, which players? Yeah, it'll be like Burrow over two hundred forty yards. No, I don't do that stuff. Will Jamar Chase score? You know, I don't do that stuff because you don't I, like fun. No, it ruins it for me. Because <laughs> then, what do I even want to happen? You want to have fun. Yeah. You want to have. That's why fantasy. I hate fantasy. I'm rooting for a player playing against I my just Giants. Can't bet because then I'm too motivated. I'm not a big better. I love yeah. it. I love it. Well, we have an office pool. We did fifty dollars boxes. Oh, that's fun. They're I'll not all. That. They're not all full yet. I might have to buy like I'm five in. more. I'll uh, go in. I'm you on. want a box? I'm oh, on. All right, you got a box. Hold on. Uh, got to do it before L- I forget. L.A. is a five and a half point, fa- four and a half point favorite. That sounds about right to me. But if you would have told me seven points, this guy's got fiat. Is that fiat? I put real money in. That's money. Okay, you got a you got a box. <laughs> uh, all right, Michael, you have a bet. Do so, I have, besides do, all your crazy prop bets, what do you mean for the Super Bowl? Who, who do you think's gonna win? I think I'm, I'm torn. This would be a good game. Do I you th- care who wins? I don't care. I just want to watch a game. I think he just wants the bet to come to. I think that (laughs) the Rams line is going to kill Joe Burrow. Well, that's Aaron Donald could eat the skin. So that's what I I mean. The the Titans put him on his ass nine times. So that's what I'm worried about. They have a very weak offensive line. I'm Bengals fan. That's what I'm worried about. But Burrow's been amazing. So I just want a fun game. I just want a fun game. Me too. That's why I liked I liked all the playoff games. Because all the playoff games that one weekend were all four of them were like overtime and I was crazy. Great was playoffs so this year. Uh, did you hear about this Bitcoin hack from Bit? Not Bitcoin, just crypto generally uh, at Bitfinex, and they just arrested like this uh, white trash Bonnie and Clyde for the modern era. I, they fa- they I saw fa- the New York Post on it. So <laughs> I just, all right, I was, Tony, I got your box. Now we have two left. You're in. Lots you of letters. box. Yeah. Okay. So what so, are my numbers? Kidding. With, I know. We're I'm gonna kidding. know on I'm Friday. Kidding. I know. I'm kidding. It would be really funny if, if, Tony, <laughs> if Tony wins. <laughs> Tony wins something. All right, I'll say it publicly. If I win, I'm donating it to whatever charity you guys want. Good me for to. you. Uh, donated Lunch. to donated to the victims of the Bitfinex hack. <laughs> so, I was joking around with Michael today. You used to watch these movies like the Thomas Crown Affair. Yeah. Where like a fifty million dollar painting gets stolen. Yeah. And there are police with like the Parisian uh, siren sound all over the city. They, they close the bridges, yeah. blow the bridges. That's like 40 or $50 million. These two idiots stole four and a half billion dollars is the allegation. B. B with a B. And the hack was in 2016. They didn't even bother like spending it. They just like transferred it to themselves, their wallet and like just went on with their lives. This, the girl was writing a, f- 
a Forbes column for some for some reason. I think, I think CNBC had the uh, had part of a rap song on there. The rapping is, I mean, worse than mine. Is she good? No. <laughs> My God, it's it's actually unbelievable. <laughs> I don't I don't know because we're not allowed to sing it. I'm not allowed to sing and dance. It's like a social. I want role. it to be good. Um, just the dollar amounts of this stuff, though. Like these are the crimes of the century. I don't think anybody's ever stolen four billion dollars before. That's a lot of money. What was the Lufthansa heist in Goodfellas? But, but in 2016, it wasn't four point whatever billion. It's because the appreciation probably, right? True. Right? True. So at the time, it could have been if you take a that billion? painting and, and make it, you know, a billion, you know, I right. don't know. It, it just disgusts me to begin with. It's, it's, it's the kind of thing, though, where – so they were trying to launder it, but they were unsuccessful. Did you see what they were buying? So I don't – They were buying gift cards at Walmart. Walmart gift cards and gold. They needed Marty Bird. Who the hell buys gold? I don't understand two things. Bird. Remember I started out with good guys don't finish last. I don't understand waking up and being like evil to somebody and then stealing something that's not yours. I, like, well, I don't get it's it. a victimless crime because it's a make-believe asset. So I've uh, – <laughs> all right. Uh, last thing and then we'll go into favorites and then we'll get, like, get out of here. You see this uh, bonuses on Wall – bonus season on Wall Street – these are the kinds of things that make me bearish, but they're so anecdotal and they're really not meaningful. This is very far away from your research, but this is the New York, this is the New York Post. Quote, there is rain in the forecast and lots of it as flush Wall Street bros blow their record-setting bonuses on cars and caviar. We recently had a $10,000 bill for six people said Jesse Schenker, who owns Oyster Bay, Long Island, whatever. doesn't matter. It's a whole article about people spending $5,000 on a bottle of alcohol, et cetera. It's just crazy. Historically, though, and you've now seen more, you know, a lot of cycles. You don't want to read these articles. You don't want to read the articles. Number one, I hope the gals are getting as much as the bros. And number two, that's right. the odds of me commenting they wouldn't on spend Wall Street it that bonuses way, during bonus season is zero. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm just going to work hard. I just I just prefer it when those articles are not coming out. I know. But now it's almost unavoidable. But think about a month ago, like when the market's tanking and the end of the world is here and all the retail investors are blowing up in whatever – yeah, EV stocks. You and, know, I, uh, I, it's that anecdotal stuff that gets kind of – some of the anecdotal stuff that I've talked about before is just watching not my kids because they can't trade because of my job. But some of their friends that, you know, they didn't think they had to really work because, well, you just buy stonks, they go up. They were Right. there. Everyone was going to retire and be a trader. And they were so mad at me because similar to 1999, I was an idiot. And I was like, please don't trade these stocks and they double the next day. Oh, and that was I, the hardest part that the best advice – Looked so bad for a full year. And I'm really good that that happens to me a bunch. And, but ultimately, again, it comes Did down. anybody come back to you and be like, yeah. thank you for uh, being the voice yeah, of I made Yeah, I made a few of them not do it because I, I've, I've, blown, I've done it myself. I've oh, yeah, blown myself too. up. I mean, me I could have gone to Harvard Mike twice. does it every month to himself. I got to remind myself. I got to keep myself honest. I, I will not trade options because <laughs> right. the upchain options work so well, both on my hair and in my wallet. Right. <laughs> uh, let's do favorites. I'll start. Um, do you, do you listen to any podcasts besides ours? 
I don't. All right. Uh, how come? Just no time. So any free time that I have is based on aviation stuff because I'm a pilot and yeah. I love to fly. No way. I, I like to – yeah, I love flying. That's I, I use it. I, my son and I are pilots and my, my older guy. Wow, that's um, cool. What do you, what do you fly? Smaller uh, planes? Uh, just single so engine. Flying four. carpet. Yeah, flying carpet. <laughs> a broom. Some would say a broom. It's a broom. <laughs> um, I, I, I fly a Cirrus. It's a single engine four-seater. It's an awesome plane. That's so cool. It's, it's Where do you so fly to? Just around? We're going to be flying to Park City at the end of this month for a talk I'm giving. Oh, I've, a real – I've flown like, to Vegas for a talk. Can you fly – you, you Bahamas. Stop, do you have to stop on the way to Vegas from the East Coast? Yeah, it was, it was two stops in an overnight. It was like a nine-hour all in and I don't want to fly that long. But, dude, going over the mountains with just you, the engine. The Rocky Mountains. A couple of, yeah, a couple of boys – it was just so good. It's just so peaceful. You can't. There's no market stuff. There's no. Hey, so what you're do you not think? an adrenaline guy. You're doing this because it's relaxing. It's actually. It's. It's like peace. It's like being. It, it's. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's, all that's, you know. It's funny because I in my resume, I'm a pilot. Yeah. I scuba dive and I've skydived, okay. and it all sounds like really high adrenaline stuff. But there's a process and a procedure for all of them that Sh- you go checklist through. Checklist is big. With, a checklist with for all of them. Right where you minimize it. But what I love about uh, that stuff is when I listen to a podcast outside of yours, there's times where I don't want to think anymore. I don't want to be the expert. I don't want to, I don't want to hear what do you think? Who gives a shit what I think? Yeah. Like I just want to just be quiet Yeah. and be able to think about something else. And flying does that for me. So I, I don't, I don't listen to a lot of stuff. Right. How often do you fly? Uh, every week, every other week. Wow. Like go up and just goof around. Could we call you Iron Eagle from Buddy, now on? Would that how about be okay? This? How about next time we do Chappie this? Chappie Sinclair? Why don't we take – why don't we do the Mile High podcast, Daddy? Why don't you come with me? We'll go in the plane and we'll have a flight down the corridor of Hold New on. York City. What just happened? Oh, we just, yeah, what just let's happened? go. All right. Wait a minute. I do I, – <laughs> I do want to come on the flight, but I have to call the David Jacobs Agency and check on my insurance coverage before we do that. Yeah, I just I've, I've had, had people tell no me No offense that. to you, but- No, Shire would love it. John Denver, Buddy Holly, God forbid. I work for the greatest company because they let me, they don't, they, they don't question it. They let me do it. How many people fit on the plane? Uh, four. Okay. But not if Josh is on the plane. Not if I'm on the plane. Well, I was going to say five, but four. Yeah. No, actually, <laughs> you can do it. It's, it's called five. It's four and a half. You could fit like- Patty, the kids, and the dog. I feel like the audio quality would be great up there. Yeah. What? Buddy, up, it is because it's quiet. Well, with the, bo- the Bose headset. No interference. Okay. Duncan, do you want to join the Mile High Club with me and uh, Tony and I'm, your equipment? I'm, I'm not the biggest flyer, so Buddy, I'm a little Okay, bit so do this. Go to YouTube and just do just, <laughs> just good, do a search for Cirrus and listen to some of the audio on some of the – um, the videos that are up oh, there. I'm more saying I don't know that I'd be able to focus because I'm a little. You get nervous, especially in a small plane. I think it would freak me out. Small planes, a glider of it loses an engine, not a big plane. Oh, that's a good point. Okay. <laughs> well, listen, if if God forbid this went things, totally sideways from the original well, intent. Of God, God forbid if things don't work out. Like we've we've all had a pretty good run. By the way, here's a not funny you, joke. You're not old enough. Like I probably shouldn't do this given the viewers. How do you know? How do you know in a in a room of a thousand people who's the pilot? Go ahead. You don't have to guess. He'll tell you. Okay. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, anyway, I was going to recommend a podcast to you. Uh, Invest Like the Best is Patrick O'Shaughnessy. You know Patrick, yeah. right? He, I okay. mean, he just had Peter Chernin on. It's about an hour. It's one of the best things I've ever heard. Really? Chernin is like the guy that produced Titanic. 
and oh great okay. 50 other amazing movies I didn't and realize, now I didn't realize that about he's him. doing venture investing and he's investing in media companies what he knows mm-hmm. uh he's uh he's fascinating Fantastic. definitely worth i listen i like to turn off too that's one yeah. of the few that I listen to. It's really good. Yeah. The other, uh, my other favorite is Ozark season four, which uh, I don't know. You said you're watching Reacher. Are you watching Ozark? I, I got to get into it. My get kids back, are into, into it. it. The, the older guy that it's started phenomenal. the software company, he's, he's, he loved it's it. So loves it. It's very, it's very good this year. Okay. Well, uh, Tony, what have you brought us? Flying. Flying. That's your favorite? You mean Michael? Oh, he gave us Reacher. Oh, he gave us Reacher. All, All right. right. Um, Packy's post this week. Did you, did Josh, did you read this? No. So he wrote a post about what, like, that we don't build anymore, the American dream. Not that it's dead, but he basically was talking about this company where we'll somehow rent the real estate back to the company and, they and like, they could become owners of the company. So Packy said, small business owners create value in a neighborhood, but they don't capture most of it, which is obvious. Uh, another quote from the article, he said, we are trying to protect Americans' downsides instead of maximizing their upside. Mm-hmm. Um, so which is like Europe. I am a fan. Uh, Packy McCormick, twenty twenty eight. I'm in. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay, we're gonna wrap here. Did you have fun today? I had a lot of fun. I All was right. like hanging out with you. Are guys. you gonna come back? Got to get the invite. But yeah. Hell All right. Yeah. Are you busy next I, week? I love this <laughs> <laughs> for a fee. <laughs> I love. I love. Uh, I love doing shows like this because. We get to talk about other stuff. Yes. Well, there's the music in my ear. We're rap- we are rapping. They're playing you off like the Oscars. Right. Only, only, I hope I won. Only because, well, as I'd you like know. I'd like to thank the- my wife. I'd like to thank Josh <laughs> yeah, Brown. Yeah. My- <laughs> uh, the attention span the attention span of the audience, it gets to a certain point, and then, you know. I can't believe the three of us have been sitting here this long. <laughs> no doubt. Hey, you're the, you're the man. It's been great seeing you. And yeah, thank you. Thank I feel you like my, my audience, Mike, Michael and I, our audience has learned a lot from uh, your insights and can't wait to break your chops when all of this stuff does not come true. So we'll we'll schedule you sometime this summer. Does that yeah, sound good? If you want to hit me, get in line. It's around the corner. Oh, no. Tony Dwyer, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Tony. Where are, we, where are we finding out more from you? Tony Dwyer, uh, DwyerStrategy.com. Yes? DwyerStrategy.com. Yeah. Okay. Anywhere else to follow you or not really? That's, no, that's, that's pretty spot. much it. Good for you. Uh, did a great job today, by the Thank way. We you. appreciate you. I, I really you. appreciate the time. It All was right. Fun. And guys, if you want to watch video from today's episode, make sure you go to youtube.com slash the compound RWM and follow us on Instagram at the compound news. We will see you guys next time. All right. That's a good warm up. So stretch out a little bit. <laughs> And we'll reconvene uh, in about 10 minutes. We'll do it for real. <laughs> that, good? that was good. That was good. That was great. <laughs>